Hey everyone, this is Junior. I'm the pastor of Freedom Church here in Hawaii. Thanks for taking time to listen to our messages online. Our desire here at Freedom Church is that you would encounter God in such a real way that it would lead you to experience freedom in all areas of your life. So whether you're listening to this at the gym, on a run, or a drive somewhere, I hope you find our time together to be encouraging, faith-building, and life-giving. But this morning, I want to continue our our message series, and it, it, it's the series called Trust Issues. Everybody say, Trust Issues. And I, I pray that it's been speaking into your heart, that, that the Lord's been working on that area of your life, in the area of trust. And um, I pray that each week you come here, that you hear something that really speaks to the depths of who you are and what God is doing in your life. And, and it really is not trying to become smarter or more knowledgeable or more educated, but it really is practicing and, and, and desiring God's will and God's heart for your life and hearing his voice. That is the whole point why we, we get here. Now, God, if you've been praying for wisdom from the Lord and you're, you're gaining wisdom here, then the perspective of what you're hearing here is God depositing wisdom, then praise the Lord. So I don't want to negate the fact that we can learn something that, that may affect our behavior. I want you to not forget that we gather here because we're here to encounter God. We're here to encounter the very presence of the creator of the universe and not only encounter God, but have freedom and experience freedom in areas of our life. That the heart of the body of Christ is not just to get together and sing some songs and hear someone speak from the stage, but it really is to, God, I want to encounter you this morning. And God, I want to experience freedom that I've never felt before. And everybody in this room um, has a level that they're at that God is walking with you on. That God is not expecting you to be like your neighbor. God is not expecting you to be like the pastor. God is not expecting you to be like somebody you see on YouTube or somebody you see on TV or a coworker. He is walking with you where you're at. He is walking with you at the pace that you are submitted to. When I say submitted to, God's not going to force you. God's not going to strong arm you. But God's going to give you the grace to walk at your pace. But God wants the best for you. And sometimes God will say, pick up the pace. So turn to your neighbor, poke him in the other shoulder and say, pick up the pace. Because some of us in this room need to hear that. Some of us in this room, I think, and, and I'm not saying that it's not a bad, but I'm saying right this very season, the word of God from this pulpit, the word of God in this body, for some of you, not all of you, is this. God wants you to pick up the pace. Because he's given you enough grace. And some of you, and with all due respect, have taken advantage of that grace. And have not done what he's asked you to do for fear of other people's judgment for an excuse of, well, I'm tired, God. I don't have time. Well, if I do this and I got, but God is saying in this season, you need to pick up the pace and rest in my grace because there's things in your life that God is going to give you grace to rest in. Amen. But there's times in the Bible where God speeds up people's pace because there's so much he wants to grow in them. He wants to grow out of them. And so for some of us in this room, God may be telling you this morning, pick up the pace. And so this morning we're going to, Walk into an area of trust where I think many of us can, can relate to. And, and the question I have for you this morning is this. How close is your life today, the life that you have now, how close is that to the picture of your life you had maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago? For some of you, you weren't alive 20 years ago, so maybe 15 years ago. Is your life, what, is, what does the picture of your life look like today? Is it the... Life you pictured 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 
How did you get here is my question. If your life isn't, doesn't look like what you pictured, two questions. Why? How did you get here if it's not where you thought you'd be? And the question before that is, how did you get that picture of your life that you thought your life was going to be? How did you get that picture? What did you picture about your marriage? What did you picture about your job? What did you picture about having kids? What did you picture about having a boyfriend? What did you picture about having a girlfriend? What did you picture about having this neighborhood? What did you picture about having this size of a house? What did you picture about having this kind of car? What did you picture? And how did you get that picture? In this day and age, it's easy to answer that question sometimes. I scroll for these pictures. I tap on these pictures. There's pictures all over the place. Like this culture now is driven on visual pictures. Like so when someone looks at whatever app you look at, you, 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 you sometimes look at that picture and say, I want that picture. And maybe that's not God's picture for you. And when we get to where we thought we'd be, the question is, why is it my, God, where were you, God, why? The question is, why did you believe in that picture? Why did you believe that that was the life that God had for you? Did you even ask him? Or did you just go, wow, that looks like a prosperous picture. I want that. That looks like a super awesome marriage. I want that. Now, nothing wrong with wanting prosperity and a, a great marriage. But I can tell you this. Not all marriages are the same. Not everybody's path is the same. You may look at someone's marriage and go, wow, that marriage is so awesome. They love each other. But you have no idea what they have gone through to get to that place. And that's why when people make a judgment on a picture, they have no idea what it took to create that. But the Lord may have taken that person through to get to that point of faith, that point of resilience, that point of prosperity. God has a picture for all of us, but also God has a process for all of us. And you know, this morning, part of that process, part of that process is not always yes, and amen, sometimes part of the process is no and amen. So I'm going to talk about trusting when God says no. Or better yet, the title of my message is the gift of no. The gift of no. See, last week we talked about trusting God when things are going right when things went right, when, thing, when God said yes, we can look back on what God did and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I have faith for the future. But what about a heart that says, God, teach me how to trust when you say no? Maybe some of us in this room need to hear that your no is significant. When God said no, how did it affect your trust? If I look around this room, and many of us in this room, I don't know how many barriers or roadblocks or detours you've gone or taken in your life. And I'm not here to, to ask you to recount or remember every single detour or barrier or roadblock in your life. But I do want you to at least journey with me in scripture through our brother Paul here, where someone who was tasked, someone who was commissioned to write over two-thirds of the New Testament, who once persecuted Christians, Jesus appeared to him on the road in a vision and redeemed his life from somebody who was going down the wrong road to somebody that was about to, to uh, disciple people, about to preach the gospel in, in chains and do all these amazing things. I want you to hear the journey of a man that we think, man, he had it all together. 
a season of his life where God told him no. And when God told him no, what was his response to that no? Because we got to know when God says no, how to respond. So in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, Verse 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. Paul begins this part of scripture, part of his letter to the church of Corinth. And I want you to remember, this is a letter. This is not some, some, um, some diary or some, some rule book. This is a letter to a church who was in turmoil. Most of Paul, if not all of Paul's letters, are written to churches that were just crazy they were they had some dysfunctional people in the church just like us i mean just like dysfunctional people all around them and paul is like don't look at your neighbor i say you look at their neighbor like yeah they're dysfunctional not me but we all have a little dysfunction in our life amen we all don't function to our optimal ability but that's why we need the lord amen that's why we need him because he is perfect and we're not and so he's writing to the church of corinth saying you guys are jacked up you guys are like looking at communion as a meal. It's not a meal. You guys are even eating before everybody gets there. What is the deal? Communion is not like get here and have some crackers and juice and fill your belly. It's remember what the... And so even that, like imagine you came here and someone just started picking out on the communion. Go, whoa, whoa, slow down. It's like your first meal of the day. I just came to eat, man. Like, no, communion is sacred, you know, and that's, what, that's the kind of stuff that they were dealing with, you know, people that were judging each other for what they ate, people judging each other for their level of faith, like in the church... So, so Paul is directing these letters and these, 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 these uh, nuggets of wisdom from the Lord to kind of remind them and to address certain issues. And so one of the issues that we're going to talk about this morning makes Paul write to this church. And Paul has an interesting way of bringing out these issues without calling them out. I, I, think, I, can get, I, I think for me, I can learn a lot from Paul at times. Is I'm just, the, sometimes I'm too blunt. Sometimes the easiest way to take a splinter out is cut it off, right? Or dig it out. Like sometimes there's different ways to draw out what you need to draw from people, not just a straight cut or a straight attack. You know what I'm saying? So Paul is trying to get people to see something without being so blunt and so harsh, but at the same time being truthful and being honest and being integrous to the Lord. So Paul starts with himself. He goes in verse 7 of Corinthians 12. So to keep me, so he starts with, him, he starts with himself. That's, that's always a good place to start when you're trying to, encourage somebody or try to correct somebody start with yourself start with the 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 plank in your eye before you start picking specks out of other people's eyes because paul goes sort of keep me from becoming what conceited well that's a strong word so paul just calls out a big big issue with him to keep me from being conceited because of the greatness of these revelations and if you read verses 1 to 10 Jesus, or God takes Paul up into what they call a third heaven. Now, he doesn't know if it was in body or in spirit, but he says he's, he showed me these things. He, he brought me revelation. So what Paul is saying, don't worry about what God showed me. Don't worry about, wow, you was in heaven, Paul. I like go heaven too. I like see around. Like he, doesn't, he said, don't worry about that. I want you to know, like, I want you to know God in his wisdom to keep me conceited because now I know what I know. Now I know through these revelations, it could cause me to become conceited. See, what he's saying to these men and women from Corinth is, you've seen God, the power of God. You've seen 
God do miracles when the church first started. But there's something you've fallen away from. And so God might be reminding you that don't get caught up on what I'm doing. Just know that I'm revealing things to you. And the revelation is for a reason. So he goes, to keep me from becoming conceited because of what God showed me, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul has already identified there's something that the Lord gave to him, and he attaches it to the enemy, to Satan, and he attaches it to this ongoing harassment, and the whole purpose of it was to keep him from becoming conceited. And look at here, in verse 8, he tells the church, Three times, not just once, not just twice, but three times, I pleaded with the Lord. Anybody in here ever plead with God? Anybody in here ever plead with the Lord about something? He goes, I pleaded with him. With three times I came to him and I pleaded with the Lord about this very thing, about this thorn. That what? That it should be gone. It should just leave me. Anybody can relate so far? That there's something about something or some situation about yourself that you're like, Lord, just take this away. God, just get this over with. God, how much longer? He goes, I pleaded with God to take this away from me. And here God butts in. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So the answer wasn't, sure, I'll take this away from you. His answer was no, but my grace is sufficient for you. He goes, what I have for you amidst having this thorn in the flesh is enough for you. So you will continue to have this thorn in the flesh, but know that I also provided grace that is sufficient for your every need. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul goes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that I can get pity? So that people go, wow, you're so humble. Wow, you're, no. He goes, I will boast more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ rests upon me. He began to understand that in his weakness, in the thorn in the flesh that God did not take away. And God said, my grace is enough for you. I, I, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He goes, I'm going to boast of my weakness. I'm going to tell about my weakness. I'm going to share about where I fall short. Why? Because God is going to use this for the glory. And the power of God will rest upon me. And verse 10 goes, then for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weakness. What? Did Paul give up? No, he says he's content. Remember in a letter to the churches, I found the secret of contentment. That I could be super rich or super poor. But I know this, that God can provide all of our needs. That God is the source of everything. So that's why when Paul says in this, in this portion, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with my weakness. I'm content with I get, when I get insults by people that say, man, because you don't know what his thorn was. It doesn't tell us what his thorn was. Some scholars believe it was his eyesight. Maybe he had a condition where his eyes were kind of huge and people understood like, whoa, something's wrong with Paul's eyes. And so maybe the insults came when, when he tried to read a letter or tried to read something and he couldn't read it because his eyes were blurry. There were a, a, a letter where he says, I hope you can read this because I was struggling writing this letter because of my sight. And so people were probably looking at him going, Paul can't even read, bro. 
And Paul knew that that was maybe a thorn that God has given him. For what? To keep him humble. To keep him from becoming conceited. Because maybe he saw with his spiritual eyes what God was doing. And God in the flesh made, reminded him of his physical eyes that became an insult, a, a vessel of insult from people where he had to remain not conceited. Because I, you think, I don't care about these eyes. I can see more than you, bro. You know what I mean? Like, if you wanted to throw that back in someone's face, you're going to say, yeah, you can't make fun about my eyes, but I've seen heaven. I've seen it. You know, you ever seen, I'm not going to go into detail, but there, there have been Christians in, in my life, in my circle, that have boasted when they were insulted about something that was a shortcoming of theirs, whether it was patience or mercy or grace, and then they throw the card of like, yeah, but I hear God's voice, and I saw this, and they start, they start boasting not about what God did, but about what they can do or what has happened to them so that the insult is not no longer an insult, but it's like, wow, I'm sorry I, I, I brought up your weakness. That's not what the intent of, of, of our testimony about God is. It's not, an, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a contest. It's not a comparison contest of like how much more blessed you are than I am. So Paul is saying, I, I, I take my weakness, I take insults, I take hardships, I take persecution, and everything that people call calamities, and I'll be content with it. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's his response when God says no. For when I feel weak, then I am actually strong in the Lord. Why? You know, the Bible talks about spiritual maturity. And I want us to begin to think about that word, spiritual maturity. You know, when we talk about growing in our faith and becoming a stronger Christian, becoming a better Christian, whatever it is, the Bible doesn't use those kind of la that language. Paul uses this language, maturity. Paul uses the word spiritual maturity. He writes letters to the churches that says, you should be mature, you should be further along by now. But you aren't. You're like babies that need to be fed by a bottle. That's harsh, Paul. Come on. But he goes, I want you to be what? Spiritually mature in the Lord. As you grow in the Lord, that maturity. So it's not the length of time. It's not based on time. It's about are you growing in your faith, in your trust, in maturity. And I was thinking about this this week when I was thinking about when God says no because God has said no in my life a lot of times. A lot of times. And I thought sometimes when God said no, he meant not yet. But he really meant no. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we, we want to attribute what God says no. It's just not yet. No, God said no. So no is Let's collect the offering like we did and go home already because you guys understand. And God says no, it's just no. It's not not yet. It's just no. And I, I've, I've made mistakes by going for things that I thought, well, God said no, but it means not yet. The door's still open. When God said no, I, I closed that door a long time ago. Stop it. You know who likes those open doors sometimes? The enemy. He likes to walk through those doors we leave open that God meant to shut. So be careful when you... you you re, repackage God's no to not yet. Be careful. Be careful when you start saying, well, God didn't say no. He said not yet. Be careful. And when I was thinking about my spiritual maturity, I, I thought about this, and you, you'll see this behind me, because we all start off in a place of spiritual immaturity. Agreed? We're infants in the Lord. And when I was spiritually immature, there was so much I didn't know. Because I didn't know. There's so much I should have said no to. There's so much I should have heard God say no to. But I didn't know. Does that make sense? When I was spiritually immature, 
I should have said no or obey the no more often than not because when I became more mature in my walk with the Lord, I knew better now that no meant no. Or even I needed to say no more. Some of us in this room have a hard time saying no. Let's all try it together on the count of three. One, two, three. No. There's good things in life that we all can put our hands to that are all good things, but they're no things. Why? Because if you think about this equation, no to something equals yes to something else. If you say no to doing a good thing for somebody because you feel guilty about not helping them, you are saying yes to take away from your time with your family or time with your own thing. So you're saying no to something else, but you're saying yes to something else. You're saying, uh, you should be saying no to them because you're saying yes to your family. Some of us in this room like to work overtime or put a lot of work in because we think we're providing for our family. But really, when you say yes to that, when you say no to your family, you're really saying yes to the job. When you say no to your job, you're really saying yes to your family. You know what I'm saying? Like when you say no to something, it really is a yes for something else. Don't think of it as, oh, I'm letting somebody down. I'm not a good person. I'm just, I should be more helpful. Da, 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 da. That's just who I am. No. You need to know that when you say no to something, when God says, this is something you shouldn't put your hands to. There's something I have a yes for you over here, but you're so busy not being able to say no that I can't give you the yes. So when I was spiritually mature, there's so much I didn't know because I didn't know. And now I hope you know that your no is important because God might want you to be able to, to say, you know what? Not right, I'm not doing that. Because you see, part of what God wants us to, to understand as a Christian, as a, as a spiritually maturing Christian, is that God not just wants us to be in, informed about something. He wants us to be transformed. You see, when Paul prays to the Lord, he's asking the Lord to take something away. And God could do that. God can do it for you. God can do it any which way he wants to. He could have taken away that thorn in, in Paul's flesh. But God is not always into substitution. He's always into transformation. Where God's, Paul's perspective was, God, substitute physical illness or physical infirmities or this thorn. Substitute that for health. When God says, no, I'm just trying to transform you through that. Whatever I'm leaving in your life, whatever I'm saying, no, I'm leaving it there. No, you got to go through this. It's for your transformation. So in this very room, I want you to know transformation is totally possible. Transformation is God's heart. That's why the Bible says be renewed by the transformation of your mind so that you know what God's will is for your life. We all have the potential of transformation. It's a matter of are we going to go through the process of transformation God says we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So at salvation, we're a new creation. But sanctification is a process. <laughs> Amen? Salvation is an event. We're saved by the grace of God. But we still come with all these bad habits that God has to work out in us. And that we have to learn the word no because we have to say no to things. The way God says that is not what you should be pursuing anymore. I'm going to give you the thought of no, but you have to vocalize the no. Transformation is totally possible. How many of you ever heard the phrase like, life is like a roller coaster? 
You guys have heard that before? How many of you ever felt like life to you has been on a roller coaster? <laughs> like up and down, a big drop? I hated roller coasters um, for the longest time until I had my kids. Until I had my sons, they forced me. I mean, they, they encouraged me to go on roller coasters. There was even one point in my honeymoon where Corey and I went to um, Circus Circus, and there was a, a, a there's a, um, not a Ferris wheel, a roller coaster in there. And so Corey liked roller coasters, and so she tricked me to get into one because, you know, we just got married, so I'm like, i got to press my brand new bride, so let's get in. So she gets in, and then they lock the thing down. She goes, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Let me out. So they let her out, and I'm like, let me out too. She goes, no, you can't have fun on this thing by yourself. And I'm like, by myself. She tricked me into roller coasters. And I'm like, the whole time too, I'm like closing my eyes, and I'm like, you just, we got married like two weeks ago. I'm not sure if it's going to last because you just sent me on a roller coaster by myself, you know? And I never liked them, and so before we even married, my wife knew I didn't like them. And so in 1998, well, that's a long time ago, right? 1998, 1998, when we went to a conference with our young adults for, for Hope Chapel at the time, we went to a, a, a four-square conference in the mainland, and part of the, the conference was to go to Disneyland, and I had never been. I had never been. I was 23 years old at the, at the time. I never got off the island. I never flew off the rock until that very moment. And I was like, I was so excited to go. But my wife was, well, my girlfriend, fiance at the time, wasn't married at the time. She was super excited to go. All of her friends, all these young singles, everybody was like, oh, yeah, let's go. And, and, but she went before. So she understood that she got to ride her favorite ride. And guess what her favorite ride is? Splash Mountain. And it isn't even a roller coaster. But I was like, what is Splash Mountain? And she goes, it's a, a flume ride where you, just, you, you drop. You just go down. Anybody ever been on Splash Mountain in his room? Okay. So you guys know what the deal is. So I'm like, fine, I, I'm good. So we, <laughs> we get there, and everybody's doing their thing, and all of us are excited, and my wife goes, let's go to Splash Mountain. So we go there, and then we get in line, we jump in this thing, and I think, I'm not sure what, what ride it was on our, our, our day, but we get in, and I get into the, the, the log, and I sit in there, and I'm like, looking for the seatbelt, right? Look, at that time, looking for the seatbelt, like, where is the thing to lock, where's the thing to lock you in? Because, you know, I hear it's going to drop, I hear it's going to fall, so I don't want to... So I'm looking for stuff, and everybody's like having, everybody's having fun. Oh, this is going to be awesome. And everybody's like, like, hey, excuse me, where's the seatbelts? And they're like, there's no seatbelts in this ride. By the time we're like in the thing already, and it's like, you know, in the beginning, it's all like Disney music and like all the animatronics. Everybody's like looking at, being, being observant of all the scenery and going, wow, look at the bear rabbit. Look at the, this is the bear. And all I could do is think about is the seatbelt. I'm like, where is the seatbelt? I'm going to die in it. And, and everybody in the front of me were having, was having fun. They were like, oh, this is the awesomest thing. Even my fiance at the time, Corey, in front of me, she was having fun. I'm going, where's the seatbelt? Where is this belt? Like, I'm going to fall out. She goes, just be quiet. You're not going to fall out this thing. We've done it a lot. Like, people have done it over the years. They're not going to fall out. But I didn't believe that. I believed like I was going to fall out. I believe, like, because there were no security system, no locking in, I was going to fall out. And so that's my very first ride ever on a ride like that. I'd never been to Disneyland. It was unknown to me. And everybody in front of me, the, the five people that was in front of me, all told me it was going to be fun. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be okay. And I didn't believe them. I didn't trust them. All I could say was no, 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 no. Get me off this thing now. I don't want to be on this thing. And they were saying, too late already. You're on this ride. There's no turning back. And you know when this ride, for people like me in 1998 that had no clue what this ride was about, they do something cruel. They take a picture of you. And so this is what I look like going down that ride 
My eyes were closed. I was grabbing the seat. You see me like grabbing whatever it was. And everybody in front of me was like, whoa. My wife at that time was like, I don't care who's behind me. I don't care if he's about to pass out. I'm having so much fun. And all I could think about for the whole day was how embarrassing that was. Because while everybody's having fun, I was like holding on for dear life. And I hated it. And for every time we went back to Disney after that, I did not go on that ride. I was traumatized because... I didn't go on that ride until we went this time around. And this time's a whole different story because I know better now. And went from that, look at my hands. My hands are in the air now. My hands are up. I'm smiling. My son is freaking out. Everybody's having fun. I'm like, I am not even scared anymore. I'm not worried about the seatbelt anymore. I'm not worried about dying anymore. Why? Because I'm all in. Woo, this is a fun ride. But that transformation didn't happen overnight. You know, on this journey, you can take that picture down now. You know, on this journey... <laughs> my son loves making those big eyes over there. He, you know, that's the thing now. When you go on this journey, you may start off like how I did. And you don't believe everybody else who told you it's going to be fun, it's going to be worth it, you're not going to die. It took over 20 years for me to finally go, believe it or not, I'm not joking. It took me 20 years to go back on that ride. And that's the very first picture of me from 1998 to 2019, going back on that ride. Now I'm like, I love this ride. Woo! You know, can I tell you, if you trust the Lord, I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but you can go from this to like this. Amen. It won't be easy. It won't be perfect, but the ride is awesome. And I want you to know, some of you in this room, it's okay where you're at if you're doing this. Because God's heart for you is, if you just stick with me, if you just be obedient to my word, if you listen to people around you that have gone through this ride before, they can, I can speak through them and encourage you to know that like, one day they'll look at you and you'll be like, woohoo, thank you, Jesus. Because in this world, we will find these things. Like Paul is saying, in this world, we'll find persecution, hardships. And you look at Paul's life, God took him through a transformation process. It wasn't just immediate. He went through a process. You know, when Paul says, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh, it was a messenger of Satan to harass me. Some of your versions say to buffet you. You know what that word buffet means in the, in the Greek? It's a consistent or a constant, constant um, feeling or a constant action of punching. That's, what the, that's the word Paul used. I'm just getting beat up every day. Anybody ever feel like they're getting beat up every day? Don't raise your hand in this room. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul is saying, this thing that I wanted God to take from me is beating me every single day. It's like, you guys ever saw, well, you guys maybe are not violent people, but if you watch MMA or watch boxing or whatever, you see these guys fighting in the ring and they're beating each other up and, and they're constantly just trying to knock them out or whatever. And in that ring, when someone gets hit too much in the head, what happens sometimes? They knock out. They go unconscious. Some of us in this room, that's why when the song we sang this morning, I'm wide awake. Some of us were awake, and then life just beat us up. And we feel like, how do we end up here? And God wakes us up and says, because there's some things that have been beating on you. But you've chose to, to fight them in the flesh. See, I'm not, I'm not sure what. The Lord has given you as 
something that is constantly a reminder of a weakness of yours? Because Lord always loves to talk about strengths all day long. But that's why John, the scripture in John says, Lord, may I decrease and you increase. That's the he is greater than I slogan, isn't it? That's something in your life. I'm not sure. I'm not saying everything is, but maybe what is that one thing that you know that you've been praying for for a long time and God said, no, I'm not taking that away from you. It's, it's, it's every single day you feel like you're getting hit. But you know what the beauty of also that side of the coin is where these fighters, these people who, who do martial arts or whatever, they get into the ring. You don't realize during camp or during pre-fight, they have their partners hit them all the time in their stomach, in their head. Why? So they can take the blow. So you know what it feels like they get hit. Why? Someone said, some fighter said, I'm thinking it was Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody has a plan until something happens that derails their plan. And as a Christian, my question to you is, what happens when the plan or the picture you had for your life is somehow derailed by something that you thought would have worked out a certain way? Have you submitted that plan to the Lord and asked him, is this your plan for my life, God? And not only that, if you believe it is the plan of God for you, the question you ask after that is, Lord, is this no from you? Should I not be pursuing this anymore? Because what makes someone stronger in training makes them stronger in the fight. That's why they do that in training. That's why when God brings these things in people's lives in private, God is not trying to beat you down. God is not trying to break you down. God's not trying to, to crush you. Paul says, we have this treasure in the jars of clay to show what? Not how just how fragile we are, but how the power of God belongs to him and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Amen. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Amen. See, in training, when God trains us in private, it's not for destruction. It's not for despair. It's not for confusion. It's not that he's left us. It's for the fight. It's for the public display of what? His power. Well, how did you withstand that? By the grace of God. That's why Paul says, his grace is sufficient for me. It's not my wit. It's not my intelligence. It's not my pedigree. It's not my degree. It's, not any, it's the grace of God. And what is the grace of God? It is a gift. It's translated a gift. Something that God gives us for our every need when we need it. God's grace is not just a hall pass, get out of jail free. It's a provision given by God for every need, for what we need. And so I want to just give you a word picture because some of you are, are, are kind of still skeptical maybe. You guys like memes? Yeah. This meme came across my feed the other day, and I was laughing. And someone tells me, it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Your face is like, it's always stressy, depressy, and lemon zesty. Like, baby Yoda is like, really? That easy, peasy, lemon squeezy? I feel stressy. I feel depressy. And this is sour. You know, life is, you take that down, baby Yoda, go away. You can take that, I mean, you can look at life in those two lenses, can't you? I'm not saying it's easy peasy. I'm saying it's essential. When God's grace is enough for you, he's saying he knows what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. So what Paul was trying to combat, and this is the whole 
message in a nutshell. He was trying to tell the church of Corinth, be careful of pride. And what is pride? Trusting in yourself. So when Paul is saying God's grace, God's gift, God's provision is enough for my need when I need it, he's saying in your life, are you trusting yourself more than trusting God? Because God's into gift giving. Don't you know that? God is totally into giving gifts. And, and there was an illustration I've seen that I'm like, that's a good one. Because you know Christmas is done. You know, you can walk around with these, 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 these things and you go, man, you know that guy at work? Man, I wish God would take that guy away from me. He's such an irritating coworker, such an irritating person. But if we were mature in the Lord, we'd say, God, thank you for that gift of that guy in the office. Because, man, he's teaching me patience, Lord. He's teaching me how to be patient and how to, God, man, I need money, God. I got to get a new car. I need new clothes. How come they're getting blessed and I'm not, Lord? Where's my money? You can go, man, that's the biggest gift you ever gave me, God, because I am the worst steward of finance. I need to know how to be steward of my finance. I need to know how to trust you more, God. I need to know how to be able to tithe and trust you my money. It's a gift. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a stress. It's a gift. Lord, take this part of me that I don't like, this part that, that always seems to be angry and upset at people, this part that seems to not have patience with people. Lord, thank you for that gift, Lord. Thank you for the gift that you're giving me. What? That I can be humble and that your strength can work through me, God. I'm going to leverage my insufficiency for your sufficiency, God. It's a gift. If you can look at things as a gift, church, if you can look at things as not just something that God is trying to, <laughs> trying to, to, do, to, to do to you to get, get you to despair or, or fret or worry, he's saying if you can leverage those things in your life, if you can leverage the person at work as a thorn in your flesh, you can actually make it work for you. It is a gift. I'm giving you what you need when you need it. What do you need right now? You need to learn how to be patient right now. You know, when I was younger, and I told you this story over and over, and I came to the church. I came to the church, and I had this, I had a, 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 a Native American name. I was, I'm part Indian when I came to the church. I was known as Chief Chipaway because I had this rock on my shoulder that people try to chip away all the time. They're like, we're trying to chip stuff away from you because you have this, this chip on, it's a boulder on your, your you're carrying this boulder in. So every time they came by, I was like, oh, there's chief chip away. Because, and it wasn't a negative term. It reminded me, like, God wants to get rid of this. Let him chip away at it. Some of you in this room, God has placed people around you that have spoken a word into your life, but you don't like it. You look for something that agrees with your desire, but God is saying, you've missed the gift. You've missed the gift. I, I'm, trying to build, I'm trying to build something in you that's bigger than your circumstance. See, God was more interested in Paul's heart and Paul's sin nature and Paul's disobedience than he was in his physical health. Can you believe that? Can I tell you this? Sin is more destructive than any disease. We see what, it, sin, we see what physical disease does to bodies, right? We see what it, but can I tell you, sin is 10,000 times more destructive and that's the concern of God in all of us, to get us focused off of the flesh and seeing in the spirit what he's doing. See, church, I don't know what God has told you no about. I don't know what God has, I don't know what you've prayed about to the Lord, and he's not taking it away. He's not removing it. He's not substituting it. Would you consider this? God wants to transform you through that. 
God wants you to learn something through that. Now, it's up to you to determine what that is. And as a pastor, that is one of my greatest, greatest, greatest parts of my weekend. The greatest part of my weekend as your pastor has to be that when I come up here, the pressure for me to speak to every situation is not my job. The heart of the Father is to say exactly what he needs to say through me, and I'll just say what he needs you to say, and he knows exactly what you need to hear. You got to know every Sunday I come up here, I'm say, I ask God, God, give me the grace to say what you need to say. Because I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know everybody's issue, but God, you do. And so when you speak to your word, God, I pray that every person in this room walks away with something that spoke directly to their heart. If you were encouraged or inspired or blessed by the message you just heard, we'd love to hear about it. Visit us at myfreedomchurch.org and leave us a comment or a message. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do so through our website. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get all the latest messages. Thank you for joining us and God bless.